0: What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion.
1: Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. I am Annabelle Gaberti. You may know me as the founding and managing partner of London and Paris law firm Crefovi. Krifovi is the best law firm to support the creative industries navigating complex business issues wherever they are in the world. In this new iteration of Crefovi, which is 10 years old this year, we have launched annual and monthly subscription plans that allow you to stay up to date with relevant legal updates and news, focusing on the creative industries. Here are our weekly newsletter, our weekly thought leadership articles and our lawfully creative podcasts you are empowered to lay out your strategy for your creative project which is compliant with latest legal and business updates. Subscribe today on crefovi.com store for the English version, or crefovi.fr magazine for the French version. This is Annabelle Gaberti and you're listening to Lawfully Creative from Crefovi. It is not easy to reinvent oneself, once a lawyer in Canada, as a Europe-based digital agent and writes expert in all things relating to streaming. Yet, my guest today, Wendy Bernfeld, managed to do just that and is the managing director of Amsterdam based consultancy firm Writes Stuff. Often cited in the trades, such as Screen Daily, Wendy is the go to person when contracts and business affairs updates relating to the streaming industry are needed. Let's hear it from her about the highs and lows of the streaming industry in these times of economic turmoil and cost of life crisis. I wanted to know how she got a start in becoming an expert in the streaming sector.
0: Yes, I was born in Montreal and uh, initial university there, but then uh, switched to uh, Toronto and Kingston, so I began in Montreal, then Toronto. I trained as a lawyer. Uh, did you did, and you did you speak French in your family? Or, I mean, Quebecois, or did you speak? No, English? we were first language English. But okay. at the time when I was younger, I was almost bilingual in French, and that was because of the school. Yeah, because of school and work and jobs. And and then when I moved overseas, which I'll tell you about later, to Amsterdam, learning Dutch pushed all the French out. (laughs) So my... my, Yeah, my. apparently when you learn it much later in life, then it sort of conflicts with other languages. Oh, he
1: pushed the French out. I get it. It didn't yes,
0: remind you so of French. It just, you, know, you had to some,
1: free some space,
0: yeah. It's very right funny when I would be in Cannes, for example, in a taxi, I would break into a, a French, but then a couple of Dutch words would come out and the guy, okay. Quoi? you know, <laughs> so yeah. So I began, I began in uh, I don't think the French understand the Dutch w- words because yeah, you know, no it's it's like, oh, wait, don't even understand Quebecois. That's another thing, so. <laughs> But I did. I mean, I was say working knowledge of French, and okay. uh, I began in in law, uh, and then uh, practiced in Toronto for. Oh, yeah, you
1: were so so indeed. So so you trained as a lawyer, and 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 then you actually did more than just training as a lawyer. You actually worked, if I remember well, was that in-house or in private practice or both? Yeah. So
0: first, first I was uh, one of the Supreme Court law clerks, and then uh, practiced. Uh, in-house with a large firm, Blake Castles, in sort of like the Suits uh, TV okay. series, you know, with the shoulder pads. And I, I did litigation. Uh, <laughs> I was in the 80s, surely. Yeah, exactly, 80s. Uh, was that in Toronto then? So that, that By that time I was in Toronto. Okay. And uh, after that, uh, I went, I had made a decision in my mind to switch to the entertainment side. Oh, okay. But in those days, I'm showing my age, uh, we didn't have, you know, entertainment law or, you know, business school entertainment. So I traded off with a, a local entertainment firm. And I said, I'll do your legal and you teach me the business, you know, film and TV and this oh, sort of cool. thing. So I, that's how I kind of got. So you in, switched to, private, to in-house. Um, so I was uh, first in a large firm, then a small firm, mm-hmm. still a, a law firm, yeah. boutique. Then, from there, got a job in-house as yeah. a counsel in what was premier choix, first choice, the movie network, which is kind of like your sky or uh, Canal plus. Mm-hmm. And I was first an in-house lawyer and then um morphed into the the commercial side uh, as an as a buyer of movies and also co-ducer. that first choice premier choix uh, yeah, in pay TV it it's really important as it is now in the internet as we'll discuss the rights and the legal is actually quite an important underpinning sure. for the technology crossovers to content so having that legal background was very helpful um but i i did make the switch to be an actual a buyer and biz dev person okay. and then i got hired uh, to leave uh, for europe what i thought would be a two-year job um, to move to Amsterdam, of all places. So that was from Toronto to Amsterdam, and that was with whom? Sorry. The ninety-one to ninety-three, I went uh, the other side of the ocean and the other side of a table to be managing director of Alliance Atlantis, which was a distributor. The In Amsterdam. Distributor and production company out of Canada. Okay. But their head office was Canada, and I became the distribution and co-production international office based in Amsterdam so it's Canadian company but um, European subsidiary okay and that was how I came supposedly for two years on the sales and co-production side okay and then uh, I, it was supposed to be a short job, and I never left Amsterdam. After that, I went back to the buying side. You, you met your husband there uh, uh, as well, did you not? Only at first I had uh, taken a job on the other side of the table, still okay. work, with yeah. um, what would you would know, a paid TV company that was Filnet. Nethold and Canal Plus over eight or nine years, and in the middle of that period, after switching back to be a buyer in house there in Europe, then I met my husband who is Dutch. Okay, and uh, yeah, eventually we married, had children, etc. Did you keep your surname, Bernfield? Or is that later became Canal Plus International, and I ended up the CEO there before forming my own business in 99. Right. We did, were... did you actually, sorry, did you actually set up write uh, Stuff, your business in 99? Yes. Wow. So between, uh, so 91 to 93 was Alliance Atlantis, managing director. 93 to 99 was FilmNet, Nethold and Canal Plus. They were all the same conglomerate of 30 company, countries uh-huh. of pay television and pay-per-view. The precursors to VOD but, but different countries around the world we would joint buy and do deals you know from studios to indies European international but it really was the precursor to the internet and VOD uh, so both in- I think
1: the internet more sort of came out around the 2000 and you set up your own business in 99 already so when you set up right stuff was that already with a view of providing services to these um, alternative distribution channels to uh, yes. to co- content or audiovisual content, so to speak? I mean, what was the business plan back then? Because ninety nine is, is a long time ago. Yes, yes, it yes, is. It
0: is again showing my age. In ninety nine, the your experience you're showing your experience and <laughs> wiseness. My idiocy. Okay. No, the uh, well, perhaps in my naivete, I thought that by setting up my own business, mm. a small boutique, it would be less crazy hours. But in reality, <laughs> it's worse. It, it went way was- more your own business. Yeah, I mean, no matter what I did, whether I was in-house as a CEO or a junior or a lawyer, no matter what I did, I've always had these, you know, 60-plus-hour weeks. And then as soon as I went into my own business, the only thing that changed is that you had more flex. You didn't have to show up literally between...
1: Yeah, that's right. You can choose your hours, which would must have been good for you because you had uh, several kids. But uh, but, I mean, mean, having your own business, you know, is...
0: Yeah, it was a lot and treble time job <laughs> but what i really liked i mean more seriously to answer your question what i uh, uh, gave up uh, and didn't miss was the politics yeah sure. you copy on an email 20 20- that's you know, so true
1: that's because when you work as an in-house in an in-house capacity i'm talking here in my experience as an in-house lawyer you've got two kind of clients you've got the external clients uh, that you have to serve but you also have your own in, in, internal client with your boss or your you know yeah. n2 as we say in french like you know just uh, direct supervisor I need so much pressure and also such a waste of everybody's time (laughs) to have a lot of time.
0: Yeah, Uh, yeah, whereas when you're a consultant, it's it's less secure. You don't know where your next job comes, but Mm -hmm. people hire you for precisely what you know what to do, how to do it. There's no time for politics or posturing. And often they welcome, uh, most of the time, they welcome really independent hard advice. So... I continued to work with canal plus as a as a consultant which was like a core client okay so so just if you just sorry so
1: when you set up right stuff in 1999, 1999 was it as a law firm or was it oh, a, no. okay it, right. but i had what already was, what, I what was what was it what how did you uh brand and how yeah. do you still brand this this business of right so
0: right stuff is of the time, we are working for platforms, VOD, before they launch. That means content curation, which I did in the buying days when I was in-house, but also the acquisition negotiations. Then you'd get into the contracting and rights deals. Mm -hmm. Um, So 70% of the time, often invisible, working for platforms before they would launch in SVOD and later ADVOD. So you would support but, them in negotiating the rights well i uh, i think it goes further i would often be hired to find the content uh matching when, the when you say content creation would you actually uh do this creative job of finding the content you no
1: know, i mean you have to understand Amazing. That, it's like the whole supply chain
0: really yeah when i started remember that i'd worked 15 years as a buyer so I had not like my first time. To- you know, I've been to markets uh, five times a year, I- all over the yeah. world, all the different content. So cool. So, but what they wanted was shortcuts. Like if you're trying to get children's content from, you know, Greece or something, it was right. handy to to know where to go and what to do. Okay. But, uh, so you one- had the network. There was a network, but one part of the job that that was the smaller part more joy and paid less. And then the hard part of the job bigger was the actual hardcore negotiations for rights, uh, deals, uh, deal memos. And if they didn't have lawyers, we would do the legal, but of licensing. It's a subset of legal. It's not all legal. It's just licensing. And if they did have lawyers, we worked wearing a business hat with the lawyers to pass on what things are standard in the industry in VOD, what works, what mm. doesn't work. So so approaching everything. the lawyers and, and the client. Well, and and uh, a bit, you know, in, in on the business side, because sometimes, uh, well, VOD work moved quickly, the internet moved quickly, so you yeah. could spend six months negotiating, you had to really move fast mm. to launch oh. service. The other 30% of the time, I would be on the side of the producer or the rights like a sales agent, who was already dealing with. Digital. So hang
1: on, um, before we move to the other side. Sorry. So um, how are you building it? And so, do you still do this? By the way, is that that's the, my core for twenty years? Okay, yeah. Okay. Because you I still you, do even today. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay. Because you were saying we were doing it as if you yeah. were talking about the past. So I was wondering yeah. whether the job function had evolved. But yeah, to, to, it's, identical. It's, still,
0: it's identical. It's identical. You're still doing uh, it. The the. The function of helping a platform before it launches, then I'm out of a job, then they move to a new region or a new genre or a new, and then new you style. Come back. Yeah. and then they may ask me to come back so yeah, yeah. You know as a random example if you think of netflix uh, 8 years ago you yeah. couldn't as a producer give away for free a documentary and now documentaries are a big part of netflix you know so the genres change but also the business models change if they add tvod or advod or do mm-hmm. different things do you, do you, uh, do you, so T so tvod what's up just for review, transactional vod Transactional VOD, okay. And and my core was more the SVOD, subscription VOD, like Netflix or movie.com or Sky or or Home. Yeah, And then AdVOD would be what you think of, like uh, YouTube, but now all the ad-supported and fast. Oh, right. Yeah
1: yeah and so how would you pay yourself so to speak would you have a, a, as a consultant would you say i'm bill per hour like a, a lawyer who is doing litigation or, or arbitration or would you say this is the package uh for the curation job it's going to be uh, you know this this um pot yeah. of money for the um negotiating yeah. the, the rights it's going to
0: be this packet this this yeah. uh Okay. Uh, it, it's very client specific what their project is and what they're doing and how much time it takes but usually for the the clients on my website that were one to three years long part-time we had a highly discounted monthly retainer based on x days per week hmm. uh, or per month rather but other times, people would just want to hire me for a target list or for coverage at a market, and then it would be at uh, day rates. Um, I never did, for that sort of strategic work, I didn't do hourly rates because okay. in one hour, I might have a week's worth of contacts for them that someone else would spend a week trying to gather. So yeah. what we would just work out what was needed, uh, uh, and figure out a price based uh, a little more per day if it was only a brain pick for a day or two. But if I was on an ongoing operational basis, a few days a week for a year or six months, then it, it was almost the same as hiring me in house as a part time employee. Right, it's like a much discounted but then yeah. they don't have to worry oh sit in on this call or come to this market because they're not paying the high consulting tariff yeah. when you're on a annual or semi-annual basis and and in a way what was what is wonderful is
1: that they're getting the lawyer as well as the business person with you
0: yeah there and and i think the 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 lawyer part i i would market myself as the Uh, as the pragmatic approach Mm -hmm. meaning you could take a 40-page agreement but try to have a two-page deal memo but the deal memo had to have in it more than just price and title it had to build in a lot of the hidden business points that are often buried in legal legalese Mm -hmm. and carry them up to the front but in a short Sentence way so that in a few pages, the deal that could later be a 50 page long form is already negotiated before it goes to their in house or out as, as a term sheet again. Yeah, so it, when, okay. when term sheets sometimes they would be done by sellers or buyers leaving out a lot of stuff that cost money (laughs) Mm. and other time, and it wasn't the fault of the lawyer who would get it later to fix because those points had already been negotiated and not addressed so part of wearing the lawyer hat for me was to be invisible but bringing bringing up to the front yeah. harder discussions that then made doing a long form fast you know
1: of course so, yeah. yeah that's that's a very good approach yeah in a way you were saving lots of time and money to your clients
0: a lot of money yeah
1: and so in, in today do you still um brand yourself as a lawyer as well as a business person do you do you have a license uh um,
0: with the yeah. bar and uh and instagram yeah. or i'm still annually i'm still a member of the bar in Canada, uh, the uh, plus uh, in the UK. I'm on the role of solicitors. Okay, but I don't. uh, I don't. When I'm uh, working with clients, yeah, I describe what I'm doing as well. It's an entertainment industry term, business affairs. Who are often lawyers uh, before, Mm -hmm. and then they go to business affairs, like in the studios. And so, yes, I could do legal, but because I don't. Uh, like what we would do is we would partner with where needed with an outside law firm for specific matters that were really legal or unique to the jurisdiction, transfer of control, assignment, um, you know, uh, music rights, uh, things that were very important. I didn't, what I would do is take 80% or 90% of the deal do it and then the last parts still should go through a lawyer either in-house or outside so yes i was a lawyer but i didn't market that as my core i'd say 20 percent of my job is around legal and licensing deals okay production etc but uh 70 or 80 percent is on the business side but right. they overlap uh i did i do market it as a on the platform side, more as a biz dev uh, yeah. and buyer. Consulting. And on the sales side or distribution, I would yeah. be uh, helping people reach platforms Sorry. that are beyond the big five. Okay, yes. Yeah. So so just just to finish on this point, just to describe
1: your, your function, um, the, the, the trades newspaper screen um, d- describes you as a um, digital agent slash rights expert. So um so yeah. So you, yes, you, you
0: wanted to talk about the yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with that description because the the rights expert means that I would uh understand and help with all the rights, including contracts and long forms, mm-hmm. but the agent role is because I wasn't myself a sales agent or distributor. Yeah. Right. taking the IP, mm-hmm. I would just be their agent um and paid fees and they would sign the deals in their own name. Mm-hmm. So the deals signed, I guess like a law firm, are done between your client and the person they're doing the deal with. Yeah. But I would, you know, broker Appreciate and everything yeah, and and go through and to the, the, the documentation. Yes. Yeah.
1: So you wanted to talk about, indeed, about the, the, the buy
0: side, uh, what you do for... Oh, yeah. So on the other side of the table, which yeah. is only about a third of the time, mm-hmm. uh, because I was a buyer for platforms, I would become familiar with platforms even before they launched or moved to new regions, which is kind of handy when you are a producer or a seller. Yeah. And if the producer or seller is only dealing with traditional uh buyers yeah we dealing with say what Netflix. do you mean by traditional buyers like uh, like the channels or yeah or all rights yeah. buyers mm-hmm. all rights buyers like sales agents do deals with okay. an all rights buyer okay. and what would be missing in a way is if a Netflix or Amazon didn't take your movie then a lot of people were stuck in the middle because mm. uh They didn't know who else to go to. And still today, it's unclear for a lot of traditional uh, sales agents. Others are more aggressive and active and digital Mm -hmm. and producers as well. So what I mean by that is there's 3,000 VODs in Europe alone, but we don't focus on that. We focus on maybe the 50 or 80 that actually pay a flat license fee or that have been around for a long time like not just on a revenue share so it's kind of in a way curating the platforms to help matchmake who could be a buyer and in what model VOD, SVOD, advod
1: so um, let me just uh, in plain english you're saying that you, you so here you would be representing these platforms and you you would be are you saying you would be finding the content for them, or is but just if you mean when I'm on the platform side, or, like, a, like a I don't deal. know why are you, you talking you say this is thirty percent of your time, or are you actually talking about when you represent the producers who are stuck in the middle because they didn't get the content bought by the likes of Netflix? so uh-huh,
0: yeah, so let's talk about the producer or the sales agent mm. if they don't get the deal they had hoped from a Netflix or Amazon, yeah. Who else do they go to with their indie film?
1: So, other platforms. Um, so, they have to not- go to all the markets, I guess.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, because most of the VOD platforms, the Espad ones, are not at markets or festivals. Those are traditional. Oh. So, they're not going okay. and spending at the Carlton Hotel and on the Toisette in Cannes. I mean, the big- they're never going to be. No, the big players are there, but the for budget, a lot of the mid-sized platforms, telecom, cable operators, uh, SBODs, they are actively buying long before COVID. Uh, mm-hmm. Like me, for a decade, online and virtual. So by email, by phone calls, etc., exchanging information. Right. And uh, so, for example, for years I worked with an Australian VOD platform that I'd never met in person. We've done everything on uh, Skypes and yeah. later Zooms. But they were heavy buyers in in SBOD. But to travel to France or whatever was was disproportionate. They would allocate their budget to content okay. instead of to travel. I think this is strategy. Yeah, but what I would say is, um, I so, would... so. How do these guys? How do these guys
1: find content? They reach out to people like yourself, or are there some some online platforms that one can go to, the likes of Sinando that you have? When you
0: get registered to can the can yeah. market or, or ha- yeah, that doesn't. I mean, you can always do that, but you'll go through four thousand companies worth of available films. That that's. Anyone can do that and spend uh, a year <laughs> trying to figure out what to buy and who from for what region, but I think what the platform would do is they would want shortcuts like if they're trying to program a horror channel which ones are available in the region from which buyers in which window, what would work for their market, mm-hmm. you know, so that's the, the sort of the matchmaking part. But So also- how
1: do they go about it, especially if they don't go to the, uh, the markets to see the new stuff?
0: Well, you can see everything online. You 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 get stuff with email, you get sent a private screener, but it's usually through trusted people, either through sellers that they're working with, sales agents, just Okay, okay, okay. Or they're dealing with digital or consultants uh-huh. like me. Uh-huh. Uh, or they're going direct when they're occasionally at a festival or market. Like I'm not saying no one ever goes, yeah. but what that I was is- trying to explain is if we ignore the big five hmm. again, And you ignore thousands of really small startup platforms and you look at the tier, what I call tier two, it would be a telecom or cable operator like Orange,
1: um,
0: a Sky, um, uh, Virgin, uh, you know, those types in the UK or in France, Salto, you know, it's the mid tier where there are television networks with an SVOD or RTL with an SVOD. Yes. <laughs> uh, Channel 9 in Australia has an SVOD stand. Uh, those types uh, would be the, the mid-tier that would buy programming, but they can't buy it global. They would only buy for their platform's reach. Okay. So in, in some cases, like Viaplay, it's 10 countries. In Orange, it's eight countries. You know, Whatever the number of countries is, They're still credibly buying, but it's not a global deal. And then you go around and the beauty is in Esfod. So this is one type of your clientele. Yeah, that well, on both sides of the table, they're either the platform or it's a seller wanting to know who can I sell my film to? Mm-hmm. Okay, Netflix didn't buy it. Gee, I never approached Orange. I never approached uh, Canal Plus. I never yeah. approached Salto. I never approached RTL. And then you have to individually go to those m- larger. Did, do they ask you for to introduce them to? Do
1: they ask you to introduce them to these uh, platforms? To be yeah,
0: well they, they I, it it's is it? so it, it very much depends. Uh, it's very tailored, very bespoke per client. Some of some of the clients know of the platform, but they don't know how to reach them because that particular buyer hasn't published his email. Then I would have to do an introduction. Mm-hmm. Other times they have published their email, they're in contact, but they would hire me for example in a what i'd call a back channel way which is what do you mean by publish the email you mean sent the email to the- well uh, if you go to a website uh, pick pick a platform that you want to reach a buyer at let's say it's sky because uh, yeah. you're living in the uk yeah and you as a human find the buyer's name okay and if did they publish their email on linkedin did they publish their email in oh, a- the email address you mean email address yeah Right, right contact and yeah. some some of them do and some don't where they don't because they don't want to be inundated with thousands of emails mm-hmm. then i could do an introduction okay the person or where they are already in contact and dealing they may not have a benchmark mm-hmm. for the deal offer that is coming yeah if you get an offer from stan in australia and you've reached them How do you value that? Is 5,000, is 3,000, 50,000? So often the consulting is to help with uh, giving. I uh, don't know what is market, is sort of, uh, uh, uh,
1: you know, uh, market standard, so to speak. Yeah,
0: and it, it all has to do with the type of film, the genre. If it's three to eight years old, it might be in the subscription VOD window still. Mm-hmm. But if it's older than that, it could be in the ad-supported window, like classics. Yeah. You know, maybe they have an offer from an ad-vod now, but their film's only two years old. And if they put it on free on YouTube now, it's going to be very hard to sell it sure. to somebody else after. So that's sort of um, advice on Windows markets platforms. Also, I think the uh, the other thing that's useful is some of the producers. You think of the big uh, the big fo- uh, ten and the competitors to them, the telecom and cable. But then there's the genre-specific platforms like um, OutTV for GLBTQ, or you know Shutter for horror, mm-hmm. or Hopster for kids, and yeah. they're niches. But their niche is a hundred percent in the genre that the producer wants to sell. Right. So that's where you don't want big availability lists going in a MailChimp chimp. <laughs> to a yeah, platform yeah. but you want tailored curated emails sure
1: yeah if you like this episode of lawfully creative with wendy bernfeld why not listen to episode one of the show with british music supervisor and sync placement broker richard Custine? lawfully creative is brought to you by Yeah. kind of
0: you know what i could say annabelle it's like online dating <laughs> <laughs> yeah but- you know, you want to match make. Uh, what we usually suggest is that the producer or the seller look at the platform's homepage and see the programming. And if their documentary is about Me Too, do they see other Me Too documentaries on that platform? Mm. If so, you could say it in your cover email. If not, you could say, well, you don't have any in this genre. Maybe we can offer you something in that genre, you know, but it should be really personalized, like online dating yeah. instead yeah. of a mass mail. It takes a lot of time. Well, it's it's the, the added value of the uh, digital agent slash
1: rights specialist, sure. I, um, I So I heard about you, Wendy, when um, um, you actually presented, you were part of the panel for the Screen Daily Talks, uh, presented yeah. with Wendy, the other Wendy. <laughs> the Wendy Mitchell. Yes, Wendy Mitchell, is a presenter at various um, um, festivals, such as EFM in Berlin and also Cannes. Um, And um, so the the topic of this this, um, uh, Screen Daily talk, which took place, I think, in July 2021, was how deals, contracts and business affairs are changing in 2021. Uh, which was in partnership with uh, we are uk films so some mm-hmm. sort of trade body which is uh, representing uk uh, film players at um efm can etc all the big uh, festivals so my uh, understanding of the takeaway of this uh, of this talk last year was that basically the uh, um there's an acceleration of uh, distribution of content for streamers because covid and so um uh, nobody goes to the theater anymore and to cinemas anymore so um yeah. i mean maybe i'm 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 um, i'm being a bit too uh, um you know um like black and white in my approach but uh, uh, i think that was one of the key points really that uh, there was an acceleration of the use of uh, of platforms to be able to uh, uh to push the, the the content out to the public um would you agree or for you was there another interpretation of the main key points um discussed during
0: this this panel last year yeah i think in that panel last year uh, we tabled four big changes that happened with COVID mm-hmm. and they still occurred, um, except that now there's a, a huge pendulum swing of course. I was about to say, I was like, so do you think we're coming back to yeah. where we were? No, no, there's a huge, I mean, to me, to me and everyone, there's no substitute for the big screen. I think everyone understands that, even in the digital sector. I think the only thing that's different, and I'll go back to your question, the only thing that's different is that now there's more an ability and awareness of hybrid approaches, yes. where some things are for cinema and theatrical, and also there are companion pieces online. Me, they are late where they date release, is that what you well, mean? D- de- depending on the window, it's just the awareness and ability to have festivals. So, for example, the, let me let me break it down. The four things were festivals moving online. That yes, was that exactly. one. Yes. Then there was virtual cinema, which was during COVID with cinemas closed. People like Modern Film in the UK would partner with Art House Cinemas, okay. share the receipts and sell the film online, but mm-hmm. give the receipts portion to the cinema that was closed. That's, you know, step two. That was pretty unique to COVID. I'm not sure. That's not like an ongoing model. The third one, however, premium VOD, is still here to stay, such as when a studio releases a film skipping all the prior windows and goes straight to its own um, Xbox first, like Coda from Apple or... Um wonder won what won the price actually, an award at um the Academy Award Yeah, it won the Oscar. Yeah. So I think uh, but what, what's interesting is that premium VOD model does exist indeed. And the fourth thing that happened that's lesser known is more in our area that we're talking about today with you, is a huge uptake in buying of library. Because okay. before COVID. And there was a lot of focus, of course, on new. And then when production stalled uh, and also people were stuck at home in uh in captive audience mode, they had more time on their hands to watch not only a Netflix or Amazon, but also a trial subscription from Movie or Shutter or whatever their passion was, they had more time. And it meant that the consumer wanted more, but also the platforms needed to fill inventory. So for the first time, they went deeper back into libraries. I mean, even a big platform like Netflix uh, bought uh, the the uh, Truffaut collection, which wouldn't have been a what Truffaut Francois, Francois Truffaut. Just as an example, they it wouldn't normally have been something you'd have imagined Netflix mm. buying wow. until that moment. And similarly, other platforms went back to library. But from the and that's very healthy for the industry. That stuff isn't sitting on a shelf and yeah. it created a new window and the library is often non-exclusive and you can sell it to five other platforms yeah. at the same time so it just created more um buying and selling of stuff that already existed yeah. not just new so we
1: these were the four takeaways and thanks so much for describing them in, uh, in a yeah. synthetic manner from this uh, from this um screen daily talk last year we are now one year on uh, post-pandemic, I mean, st- still in a, in a in a in a shit of a recession and, <laughs> and a terrible economic uh, outlook. Yes, but at least we can go out. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. even if you want, we don't have to wear masks. How nice! No, exactly. very kind of a of a rulers of this world to let us know, uh, let us uh, go out without masks. So yes, so so one way, one year on. Do you think that those four trends are still um, current, or, or 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 would you say yeah. that perhaps just the premium VOD is still you know very strong, but um,
0: uh, well, I think festivals online are forever changed. I mean, um do you think? It, yeah, well, many festivals now have added a hybrid element. It's true. yeah. And so even though they are in person, you can also attend hybrid in in many cases, which was never... you
1: keep on going like this,
0: yeah, it's already happening now. For example, uh, you can buy an online pass to festival or you can go in person
1: at- I know but I mean I think always I mean uh can for example uh, uh or, or even Berlin I think they were doing it because there was always yes. you know this concern by the people from Asia for example they would not be yeah. coming to can because COVID is still there or we're in China they're stuck in China because of COVID but I, I, it's interesting to hear that you think it's here to stay, But even after I do. COVID, it, 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 yeah. the, the hybrid model no, will keep on going. Yeah, to I'm, be honest, I'm delighted to hear this. I don't yeah, know. No, no, it has to. Also, the industry... Yeah
0: needed that change
1: let's yeah, it's be honest. so expensive to you and to you know i mean it's great to go in person i must admit i love doing it going to berlin every february you can still, That's go, awesome. in
0: you can still go in person but you can oh. go for a shorter time and pick yeah. up the rest online for example right. i was not in banff but i attended online or i was part you were part of, I'm in con at banff and part of the time i was in can but then the rest of the time i was online but i think it's practical from a business to business and a business to consumer point of view okay rano festival at the moment is phrased as only in person that's september um, but which, venice, has, which one? venice has toronto toronto is is just september. in person but venice is both well venice is not a market so well it is now yeah they have uh, they have uh, yeah. um they have a gap funding market i've been attending for years Ooh, nice. and that's for gap financing Um, But I know what you mean. It's not like a hardcore first-run I I, yes. But uh, I think if we're talking from a consumer point of view, those trends of having some element of online will continue. Virtual cinema, I think, less so. Premium, yes, yes. But library buying is huge. Yeah. Huge, not only for the SVODs, but now for the newer trend. Because you asked about one year later, yeah, focus on advod and fast channels. Wow! And uh, fast is free ad-supported uh streaming, but it's basically like free TV linear. Do you have some um,
1: example of fast advod?
0: Yeah. So there's, there's, I guess the the traditional advod, if you could call it traditional and YouTube but, and YouTube, where you the consumer pays nothing. Yeah but you can go in and out on demand anytime and from a business to business point of view the producer or seller gets a rev share right now the what revenue share right as the fee, they're not getting a, a price they're getting a share like 50 50 or whatever of the revenues from advertising yes yeah, yes that's the ad one. Mm-hmm. but fast channels f-a-s-t Uh, What they are is like if you have a Samsung or an LG TV at home, or you will have channels on the TV, and they are around themes. So, for example, I'll give you an example. uh, Tribeca, Tribeca Festival, launched a fast channel in the UK. And the fast channel is older Tribeca Films. Oh, wow. And the idea of fast is very distinct in, it's not advod because if a, it's scheduled, like old-fashioned TV. Mm-hmm. So if we place this movie, let's say CODA at nine o'clock, and you, Annabelle, go in at 10 after nine, mm-hmm. you can't rewind and start at the beginning. Oh, you can't. It's down. just like real TV. You, okay. You're joining it midstream. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's kind of like free tv but using the internet mm-hmm. and the um, money is also a share of revenues so it pays a lot less than free tv so yeah. there's some dilemma going on in the market between advod and fast and the monetization mm-hmm. but there it's it's become an explosion this past year mm-hmm. because there are a lot of svod channels and now consumers want to get also always want to get stuff for free so if you look at a good example for you is curiosity stream which is the kind of netflix of documentaries it's in 200 countries it's an svod only of docs okay but they've also launched a fast channel Mm -hmm. meaning there's an element that's free ad supported Mm -hmm different titles and things like that so a lot of these platforms are starting to embrace multiple models
1: gosh i mean i think that consumers just to still have some too much time on their hands i mean as you know this forty-five hours a week is not good because then people keep on you know going to all these places and get and because it's free then they're going to gorge themselves with, with content my gosh it's, it's a bit concerning um, <laughs> but i mean yeah i mean perhaps it's good for the industry but uh, okay so you're saying that this is definitely a trend a fast VOD which is going to grow according to you and
0: and it it, it basically leverages all these catalogues of well regular svod and AdVOD leverage the catalog too yeah okay. it's just a different way and I do think there's too many and it's a hype Oh, yeah. I fast, you know, so I, you, you weren't asking me at that moment what my personal opinion was, but just mm-hmm. about the industry. Mm-hmm. But I mean, to me, Advod and this idea of linear programming is not new. It's everything old is new again. <laughs> right. So, but what it is, the beauty of them. I mean, Advod, you have to do with it because, yeah.
1: because it, in any case, because of a piracy issue, it mm-hmm. will happen when, one way or the other. So, it's best to actually go with a flow. Yep. I mean for all titles obviously, you know, not for new titles. There I, is, I mean, there there really are, but, but there if are you seats. if you don't do it as 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 a um, as a right you're going to to get fucked, excuse my French, because in any case it will happen because of a piracy. The consumers are win and not
0: so it's best mm-hmm. to have the adverts in place. Have offerings, uh, have some offerings intelligently done. Indeed, indeed, where you get at least a share of market. Period. Yeah. But I I did want to say one I think a very strong thing for fast channels or linear again maybe because of my age. The trouble with all the on demand is that if you've ever tried to sit one night and figure out what you want to watch on Netflix it's even, difficult. So you can take an enormous amount of time yeah, trying to be tired. That. It's just like, oh, so much <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm using it as a, as a cute example, but the, the, the linear programming days allowed for intelligent programmers to create a schedule for you okay. that helped you discover titles you might not know the name of. In other words, on demand on YouTube. But I you must say know that what that you're theme. looking for. This lead right? scheduling is actually tailored to yes consumers. So yes. So what I'm trying to wow. say is in, in YouTube you still have to know what you're looking for if you're looking yeah. for a title yeah. whereas in in traditional old-fashioned television you could yeah, yeah. program harry potter at nine yeah. and at 11 say if you liked harry potter watch this sleeper film from finland about a magician <laughs> and the person who's coming off the one is already interested there it's like they called them a sleeper it helped consumers with discovery right and that's something that some i never used
1: that because yeah. I usually know
0: what I want. Wow! Some of the services are not focused on a discovery, and others are, and very sophisticated and very. Yeah, it's very smart. But I think the fast channels that are tailoring to a particular audience a schedule uh, are trying to look at programming the old-fashioned way, you know, what's in the morning, what's after school, what's at night, you know, whereas on demand is any time of day. And there they're, they're uh, you know, many of these platforms are doing different models with the same titles. So they're gonna capture consu- consumers. Yeah, entry points are coming from I different think it's a generation thing though,
1: because I do think the young generations don't want to be told what to watch. I really do think
0: that they're on an on-demand. Well, uh, you know, there's an interesting thing. I know that you're French. Were you aware that earlier this year, Netflix launched a linear channel in France called Direct?
1: I didn't know.
0: So even though Netflix is SVOD, Mm -hmm. it, as an experiment, launched only in France, old-fashioned linear in France, and it's called Direct. Is it working well? Yeah, it's apparently done very well because they were focusing on... I'm not surprised. The French like to be told what to do. Well, I'm not sure that it's told what to do, but it's intelligent curation a bit, you know, for that market. Instead of just everything from all over the world thrown at you, available in a menu, mm. there's something that, that they were doing that worked well. It may well roll out to other regions. I don't know because I don't live there, but, but I... The way the
1: way i become an educated um consumer is that i listen to podcasts uh, <laughs> uh which tell me which tell me well this title is great this film you should go and see this one is piece of shit it's going to be a waste of your time um so for example the for- Kermit and Mayo's uh, take, you know, on films, which we used to be a BBC program, and now they have launched uh, separately, independently. So I listen to that podcast every week, um, and also when I'm going to watch a movie, I always check, you know, what does Rotten Tomatoes say about it, because I don't have any time for bad content. So. Um, Anyway, um I I, I am though under the impression that the young generations that just don't want to open their laptop and say, Okay, oh, today I want to see this and bing, and they don't want to have any ads, you know, I just want to watch the content, close the laptop, move on. I mean I, but Anyway, but my grandmother's generation, yes, of course, because they know nothing about, you know, they would like to have all this linear program they can rely on, which means they don't have to think. And then they can also discover some other content about Marie Monroe or the stars from the, you know, movie system. Yeah.
0: Uh, whom the they read, Young, young generation, what was interesting, I have millennial kids. Okay. And I was under a mis- misunderstanding that my son corrected me on. <laughs> <laughs> okay and i thought it might happen well i thought it could be interesting anecdotally um it's not that a 23 year old won't go to the movies for two and a half hours sitting in a row i don't think i could do that anymore myself my my kids do it uh but what's different is when they open say youtube they haven't in their mind made the decision i'm gonna sit for two and a half hours watching so it's flexible they start something and then two hours later they're still in front of the computer Mm -hmm. so they don't feel boxed in or scheduled Mm -hmm. so the issue of linear scheduling doesn't suit but it is attention span span, they can sit for hours I mean they watch my kids watch long movies but Mm -hmm. they they don't they don't try to work around an external schedule so it's It's so I think generationally there's a big attention span, but at their own time, Mm -hmm. and that's really really uh, a change for me from what I thought. I thought it was only short form, you know. But no, they can. (laughs)
1: Okay, (laughs) I see what you mean. Well, it depends. It depends how. Yeah, it depends how you are focused on the content. I think now for me to to be in a theater, like probably the sequel, the sequel of Avatar, which is coming at some point. That I would probably watch in a, in a
0: theatre, but otherwise not the content I watch online. Oh, no, I love the theatre. Listen, I'm in digital for 25 years, and I still go to the movies any chance I can get. Right. And even if I've seen it online, I will still go to the cinema, but not all movies, no. only the ones that need, I think it's fair to say, the ones that need a big screen. A lot of movies don't need a big screen. Right, exactly. Yeah. for me, seeing West Side Story uh, needed a big screen, but, you know, some... Spielberg version. Uh, any version, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> whereas seeing an, an art house documentary on Poland in the war, I can do on a computer. Yeah. You know, I don't have to go, and that's the struggle. I,
1: li- I like that. I like the fact that now we it's much more flexible the, how you approach viewing and 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 consuming content. I, I really like this. But this first thing, thank you. That was that was really interesting. I, I wasn't
0: aware of this new. Um, well, uh, for that, if you want, if you want to uh, sneak at a few more. Pluto launched in France. Pluto is owned by Paramount in disguise, but it is uh, AdVod and Fast Channels. Mm-hmm. And its competitor in America is called Tubi, T-U-B-I, mm-hmm. and it's owned by Fox. And it's only in America and... Uh, um uh, Latin- mean 20th century Fox or the Fox Studios? Yeah, yeah Fox Studios. But the point is that sometimes these small names that sound like kindergarten names are actually very deep pocket media conglomerates behind them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, sure, and sure, Pluto was so successful that in the Nordics, uh, one of the big SVOD channels there called ViaPlay, ViaPlay has just stopped its own free TV, which was called ViaFree, and it's doing Pluto instead in the northern. Mm. So there, there, there's definitely big trends around AdVod and free that should be taken seriously. Yeah, uh, sure. They're different than the window I respect and in a way prefer the subscription VOD window before from, for monetization in Europe. Mm. In America, AdVod's doing very well. But in small European countries, the AdVods are are not you know huge checks <laughs> so, yet
1: uh, there's been in the last month or so since netflix has released its um its uh, uh quarterly earnings the realization that uh due potentially to the um uh the, the, the decrease in um, disposable income from uh, most consumers it's difficult for them to uh have memberships um with um netflix and also amazon and also paramount and also disney plus etc cetera, etc cetera. i i think i i heard that in the us the average is free subscription uh, per family which sounds really crazy to me um so now that these streamers are sort of landing so to speak post pandemic and also people want to allocate time to some other stuff and just consuming content at home because they can go out um do you do you think that there's um there's going to be some sort of um consolidation potentially coming out of uh, of this uh, of this uh, realization that perhaps there's not space for 300 streamers um or, or i remember there was a, a website you mentioned yeah, yeah, well which was an aggregator
0: well i mean so first of all the three platforms per household in America is still cheaper than what they were spending on cable uh, before the streamers. They would spend a hundred dollars a month, and now they're spending thirty or forty. So you have to compare relatively to what it was like in. I don't cable. even have another TV set myself. I never had a TV yes. set in my life, so I can't believe they were spending one hundred dollars Even, even here in Holland, if you have an annual, if you have a package, it's you know fifty or a hundred a month for. Ziggo or in Australia, it's hundred. So I'm, I, you shouldn't compare apples and oranges. All I'm saying is, a lot of people turn to streaming because it is, even with a few networks, still cheaper. That's the good mm-hmm. side. The bad side is
1: no. But you, um, thank you for mentioning this because I, I never. I never took into account the
0: cable uh, fees because cable and never... telecom carriage deals. People, a lot of people cut their cable and switch okay. to streaming OTT. So, are you
1: saying that actually lots of people now have just
0: terminated their cable subscriptions? Yeah. Well, it's called it's yeah, it's churn. Um, many have, others have both, as I do. <gasps> And others have... Uh, you have a uh, time to consume everything? I mean... It's not about... T- it's no more time or less time than five years ago or 10 years ago. It's just what you want to watch when you're ready to watch. Okay. What can you get? So, for example, um, what, what what my point was, though, those three are the big ones. Let's say each family has, I'm guessing, oh, uh, the average stuff Disney, oh, right? Let's just pretend in America. Netflix. They have Netflix, what, Amazon, Disney. Disney. Right, right, right. Oh. Okay? but what you're missing is the smaller what what you would call niche like if i'm a horror fan yeah i'll pay 2 or 3 dollars a month a month to get a service dedicated for example curiosity stream if it's 3 dollars a month and i can't get enough documentaries mm-hmm. i'm going to have a subscription to, to curiosity stream or horror will be shutter or GLBTQ out TV will be a couple of dollars a month. So these things are called stackable and they're the small thematic. It's, and it's like if you have a newspaper, a general newspaper, and then you have a cooking magazine and a sailing magazine, mm-hmm. the same phenomena happening in video. It's price. It has to be priced cheaply and very niche or micro niche. Right. One of the most successful, ironically, SVOD platforms of all is uh, an anime one in the States. And another one is called True Royalty, which only shows programs about royalty documentary, fiction, <laughs> short film, web series. the oh, breeds must be on this. But there's like, You know, there's dedicated, passionate subscribers that can't get enough royalties, so they'll subscribe. There's a Flamenco channel. Anyway, (laughs) I guess guess all I'm saying is I would would distinguish between mainstream and small. But in answer to your correct point about there's still too many, no matter how you slice it, Mm. uh, two trends happening very recently, less than six months ago, our one is called, for example, Strum S T R U U M and the other one is bundling and I'll explain them. In the Strum case, I don't know if your audiences have a monthly gym membership that allows them to go to many memberships. Here it's called Class Pass. Okay. And so for $50 a month, instead of one David Lloyd membership, I can go to a hundred different gyms each time once or something, you know, you get like coupons. So you're paying 50 a month, the same price, but you are allowed to sample the gyms. That model's been brought into these SVODs with a company uh, run by ex-Disney executives called Strum, S-T-R-U-U-M. Mm-hmm. It's not in Europe yet, it's only in the States, but okay. they currently have 60, 60 of those little SBODs, Docubay and you know BBC Select, and you know, uh Docu, you know, all the different ones that are a few dollars a month. And you can subscribe as a consumer to that and sample. And then when you're in and out of different SBODs, you can decide: gee, I really love um movie.com and I'm going to get my own full-time subscription to it Mm -hmm. so that's one trend that's helping the other trend that's helping is the old-fashioned everything old is new again bundling you know having not each item at the same a la carte price but bundling three or four for the price of one. I think know. Peacock is doing this with Sky. Oh, Peacock is bundling. Hulu is bundled. Uh, a it's number crazy, of the right. Plus is bundled. So they 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 charge say one price a la carte, mm-hmm. and then if you buy three, it's cheaper. You know, right? So packaging and bundling, which yeah. frankly is old fashioned, also to the days of cable yeah but i think it's a matter of
1: expectation i mean i would never I, I would never you know i think it would be a waste of my money to to to, to put some uh some money into this sort of uh you know 50 euros uh, like to, just to to have access to all this because you see the problem is that then all these um, all these um uh, stakeholders in the film industry will be like oh yeah piracy 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 and the time for popcorn of this world piracy is terrible it's terrible but why don't you have like in the music industry one or two um ag- uh, platforms aggregators um in the music industry called spotify and deezer and uh, tidal uh or amazon music on which you can find all the catalogs all the catalogs are on and, and so therefore you you you, you uh I mean, you've got millions of titles on, on Spotify, which, and I don't mind, I'm actually happy to, I'm okay to pay um, 10 quid per month to be able to have access to all this wonderful, great, uh, fantastic musical uh, catalog, repertoire. Well, um, it's too complicated in the film industry, and for me, it's they're just dinosaurs. They're just dinosaurs yeah. in the film industry. They just don't want to change. They don't want. They don't understand that they need to aggregate all the content. No, no, no there. I mean, two or three, three platforms max, gender. and then consumers will be happy to I mean it's easy because at first it's easy you just pay 20 euros per month and or whatever and and then you've got access to all these fantastic titles instead of going to go to on time of, for popcorn or you know I mean even on the net it's very easy you put uh, the name of a title you want to see the year it was released then one two three movie and you're going to see you to to, to be able to watch your content yes it would be filled of ads and most of the time, porn ads, which is annoying, because every five minutes it goes through. It's a bit annoying, but you know, um, I mean, at the moment, I'm, uh, and it's, it, I find this painful because i you know, I don't want to do piracy. I'm no, like in the music industry, I, I, I want to be able to go to Spotify, to the equivalent of Spotify, and be able to see, um, you know, um, the Year of a Dragon. Uh, mm-hmm. Or because I've listened to that podcast about Mickey Rourke and how he was a star in the '80s, and so this title was mentioned, so I want to rewatch *The Year of the Dragon*. Or you know, mm-hmm. like, and so, so this is something that the film industry doesn't get, and um, and I think it's such a shame. that they are behind the music industry. It's only my personal opinion. I don't want to you know p- to push you into this um, into this uh, debate, especially since your uh, clients are um in this business but for me it is it's a bit like the book publishing industry mm. the book publishers are doing everything they can so that ebooks mm-hmm. would not exist mm-hmm. and they still have all the, the you know territorial rights country by country um and the london book fair which is you know has been going on for hundreds of years and they do not want to change and i'm i'm fed up with the system i don't buy books anymore actually <laughs> well i love a space to store I'm them sure we could
0: have, i'm sure we could have a whole podcast on that topic alone but we're out of time but i think that I they are there are big differences i think in even the really? film well yeah because you're you're still talking major studios and mainstream whereas i'm talking about like polish art house and italian and french and you would not be able to aggregate the entire world of content in one platform. Why, well, if they do it for the so, music industry, why can't they do it for films? Well, I mean, I still can't get many things I want on Spotify or Deezer, so sure. I end up down... Yeah, no, I mean, if it, it, let's that's save easy that easy. for another podcast, but I think it, you it's really... Actually, important. I
1: found everything, Every oh, okay. God knows that I've got a collective place in music, but that's interesting. Okay. Mm.
0: But anyway, that I mean, that's a whole other topic, uh, which we should do I'd be happy to talk another time uh-huh. I'm a movie junkie so I'm a, I, I see whatever it, I can yeah. from everywhere I love it and in the cinemas as well there's a, there's a wonderful podcast I've discovered recently which is called um
1: um oh gosh I've forgotten but it's fantastic I mean there are so many movies uh sorry podcasts at the moment about movies about Hollywood which are amazing and um and i'm discovering all these titles that um you know that uh, i was a kid in the 80s so i couldn't watch yeah. them because you know, there were there were not you know uh yeah you must remember this for example amazing about the 20th century films if you're a film buff it's fun i I, every weekend because now i don't have a cleaner because you know the 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 name of your is that the name of the podcast you must remember remember this when i'm doing my ironing because i don't have a cleaner anymore or I'm, i'm you know it's i love listening to this podcast you must remember this and um and it's a wonderful way to discover the the catalogues the, the fantastic things which have been created since uh, since since I'd say the the twenties the thirties I'd say and um, yeah I'm a film buff I mean we used to go to the theater every Sunday with our parents what was your impression of you know um, what you heard and the feeling of uh, of the industry when you were at Cannes and also at the Monaco streaming um uh, a streaming festival where i understand you presented as a panelist yeah get a good feel that the industry is getting
0: back into its you know in full throttle or yeah i mean i really it was so so wonderful to be back in person it was wonderful to see people again as you say after two and a half years of lockdown but also uh, a lot of okay. people learned and adapted whether they wanted to or not we all had to learn or adapt during covid and change that alone is a good thing because nobody approaches things exactly the same way anymore and to me that's very refreshing because i was always in an industry where it had to be the way it's always been and what very male very male oriented <laughs> life. what's good is that um people are now more open to different variations I and see. there's that I general see. feeling was a little better. Some are still sticking very firm as you point yeah, out old yes. ways, but that's also very individual. But for me, it, it was, it was, uh, it was really lovely to be in person. And I do see a sense of optimism um, finally, you know, so that's yeah. great because we all, yeah, I mean,
1: creativity will definitely prevail but it would be great if the masses could actually experience this creativity in a way which is um which is which is easier and perhaps less less uh you know more accessible less expensive
0: yeah well hence, hence having things available online is, yes is really a great leveler um indeed so i i i've always believed that it Worked since '99 in in the, the change. and it, but it's taken really a long time for for people to actually accept it, and not as a poor cousin, but as a um, uh, in its own right as a medium, you know.